Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast, almost here around the corner technology. And today I'm speaking to Jeremy Gardner, um, a man of many endeavors and talents. I had thought uh, he he was linked solely to btcmedia.org, but um, Jeremy seems to be involved in quite a lot of projects, so I'm going to let him do an intro because uh, he can do it far better than I could. So welcome, Jeremy. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, as you said, I mean, I've been in this industry for nearly three years now, and that's kind of opened up both a realm of opportunity and a kind of a lot of different paths I've charted down. It all began when I was uh, at the University of Michigan and founded what was then known as the College Cryptocurrency Network, now known as the Blockchain Education Network. It started as uh, three Bitcoin clubs at Stanford, MIT, and Michigan, and we kind of collaborated. I suggested we kind of create a network out of it became a registered nonprofit. Within about six months, we had over 100 chapters on every habitable continent, 20-plus uh, tw- countries. Now, wow. now, the non- now the nonprofit is federally tax-exempt and has expanded all over the world uh, with over, I think, 300 or 400 chapters uh, of student organizations trying to learn, promote, develop around blockchain and Bitcoin technology. Um, then I ended actually dropping out of school and founding Augur, which is a decentralized prediction market platform, uh, pretty much an unstoppable online betting platform that predicts the future uh, on top of Ethereum. And I did that for over a year. Uh, it, the token for uh, Augur recently went live, and the platform itself will go live in a month or two. Um, and then most recently... In addition to being editor-in-chief of uh, BTC Media's new magazine, um, Distributed, I'm also the entrepreneur-in-residence and an investor at Blockchain Capital, whose office I'm speaking out of right now down in San Francisco, where I'm based most of the time. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe let's start with uh, with Augur. Um, sure. So, how does, so it's a, a prediction marketplace or how does Augur work? How would you sum it up? So the way that you should think about a prediction market is very similar to a stock market. But instead of buying and selling shares on the future price of what you believe a company will be worth, what you do is you buy and sell shares in what you believe the future outcome of, of any event will be. It can be a political election. It can be a soccer match. Um, it can be the weather tomorrow. And what, what it does is it harnesses the wisdom of crowds. So what you have is these shares, and these shares are yes or no, or there are a, a, a variety of options. And, and the shares uh, vary between less than a penny and a dollar, being bought of how, uh, depending on how many are being bought of each side. So you can say, are the Yankees going to win the World Series? People can buy yes or no shares. Let's say more people think they are, are going to win the World Series, and maybe 60 cents for a yes share, correspondingly, 40 cents for a no share. And the reason why this is called a prediction market is, one, people are predicting what's going to happen, 
but also has really great predictive qualities because you can interpret that 60 cents per yes share as the probability the the crowd assigns of the event occurring. Um, and that is really important because when people have good information in a market like this, they're inclined to use that information to create financial gain. So if they know for some reason that that the Yankees have some untold advantage, they have an incentive to go buy a bunch of yes shares until they believe that the probability is, is properly suited to them. Um, this gives us really a really good sense of what kind of mankind or, or participants in a market actually think it's going to happen, much better than contemporary polling techniques, per se. So how does, um, how does the line get set, you know, like for sports books, it'd be it, professionals we, that set the odds? So the odds are set by the crowd. So it's just how many shares are being bought of each side. We've got a decentralized mm -hmm. order book. And so the order book is just anybody can uh, put in a buy or sell order, and that determines odds. That's it. It's much more straightforward. So if a, if a given prediction is 60-40 and I buy a yes share, the prediction You're gonna move slightly, the odds up. slightly up? Yeah. Okay, and then someone else can move them down, but it's always moving and changing with each transaction. Exactly, which gives us a much better probability than, these, than, than traditional order books. Because those, those, initial, odds, uh, those odds are set to make, that, make the, uh, the broker the most amount of money. But, right. it, but there, there is no broker in this situation. It's totally decentralized, which also means there are so lower the, trading fees as well. Okay, that's great. So, so to begin with, there's no odds, and it starts to get established with the first purchase of a yes or no share, for instance. Actually, so anybody can create a mark in the system. So you can make, you can make this market, although I wouldn't see assuming you're in the United States, I wouldn't suggest you creating yes. a sports betting market. But you can say, hey, like, will will Paul Ryan run for president in 2020 and you can mm -hmm. and you can create a market for that and and what you do is you set the initial liquidity and then you can set the initial odds to where you think they should be and okay. then people buy and sell shares out of that so yeah you just brought up an important point um how is this not considered gambling prediction markets actually are regulated very separately I mean, if someone if someone in the United States creates a sports betting market, you can be sure it's going to be treated as gambling. But for things like the weather, things like um, politics, uh, all sorts of like foreign policy, uh, world events, celebrity happenings, you know, box office returns, things like that, uh, those are those are not considered gambling. That is that is purely falls into the realm of prediction markets. It is legal. Um, actually, box office returns are not, uh, but that's due to some lobbying by Hollywood. Uh, that's kind of a special circumstance that is responsible for the, the only legislation uh, kind of regulating prediction markets, which came in uh, the form of Dodd-Frank. Uh, it's a small little stipulation that says you cannot have prediction markets for box office returns. Um, Hollywood did hmm. this because uh, Max Kaiser of RT, you may or may not be familiar, uh, uh, created a company called Hollywood Stock Exchange, and he actually got a no-action letter from the Commodities Future Trading Commission, the CFTC, uh, to create uh, a prediction market for Hollywood uh, box office returns and like kind of celebrity events, and 
the thing about Hollywood is that for flops, they depend on the first yeah. week before like people have seen the reviews and such to make their money back. And they were concerned that if people were betting on the, the uh, box office flops before they became flops, it may become a self-fulfilling prophecy, thus hurting their bottom line. And so when Dodd-Frank was being written, they had their California legislators just put in a small stipulation um, banning that, those sorts of prediction markets. But for the most part, prediction markets are entirely legal in the United States. Uh, overseas, okay. the laws vary by jurisdiction. Uh, so it, it really just depends what you're betting on, but we've had good conversations with regulators. They understand how the software works. If you're okay. making markets that are not under, that don't fall under gambling law, you are perfectly uh, legal participating in that. Gotcha, gotcha. So what are some of the most popular um, prediction markets that you think will be coming about? Well, so, this, this, this is so interesting. So first of all, Augur hasn't launched. It will launch in one or two months. But the thing about prediction markets is that we've never really had a truly global market for this because in 95% of countries, online betting in one form or, or another is uh, illegal. Um, uh, and thus, we haven't had the opportunity to see how a, a truly global prediction market platform will work. I think, to be perfectly honest, especially outside of the U.S., especially in Asia, um, I think uh, online sports, I mean, betting on sports will be the first use case. As people begin to see the power of these markets, I think they could use it to help figure out, like, pricing on IPOs. You can create decentralized insurance. I think government, foreign policy, all, all these things that people love to speculate on, they can now put their money where their mouth is. You know, instead of people just, like, writing an op-ed, bashing somebody's opinion, they can just make a bet about something uh, and, and right. put their money where their mouth is. It, it kind of, it, 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 it's making small talk or a trash talk obsolete, you know. Right, gotcha. Um, is Augur going to attempt to go into regulated markets in the future? It's totally decentralized. So as software creators, we have no control over the markets that are created, and we've explained this to regulators. They understand how the software works. Um, you know, it's treated like BitTorrent. Uh, the creator is a BitTorrent, Bram Cohen. Um, he's not prosecuted every time someone uploads child pornography to BitTorrent, even though it's his software being used, because he does not control right. the software that is torrented. Same with us. We 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 create we have created a platform. These markets, we encourage and expect people to follow their local regulations. But at the end of the right. day, it's a decentralized system, just like Bitcoin or BitTorrent, and we have no control over what sort of markets people create. Okay, gotcha. So, um, if someone makes a bet, what do they win, and how much do they win? So they they win a dollar for every so if they if they want if they bet thirty cents they make seventy cents on that dollar you know. Okay, if it comes in their favor, gotcha. Yeah, so if it was the Yankees one, if you bet if the odds were at sixty cents and you bought sixty cents for a yes share, you win that sixty cents back in addition to the forty cents. Okay. And you said Augur piggybacks on Ethereum. Yes, on top token. of the Ethereum blockchain. Can you, can you, without getting too crazy technical, can you go a little bit into detail about how literally that happens? 
some of the mechanics sure. of it. So pretty much, so pretty much, if you're familiar with Ethereum, it's a it's a smart contracting uh, blockchain. Unlike Bitcoin, which is really focused on peer to peer financial transactions, Ethereum is mm. focused on creating an application layer for the blockchain. And so what you, what, what Augur is is a series of smart contracts um, that are being kind of employed. So when someone creates a market, uh, let's say, like, will Paul Ryan be elected president or will he run for president in 2020, that is a smart contract. And the shares are being bought, of, uh, being, are bought, being bought into, the, into the smart contract. So those yes or no shares pay out automatically when the market is resolved. Oh, the, so the smart contract essentially is a set of instructions. If event A happens, exactly. pay these people. Okay. Exactly. Just it, it, it's one of the most kind of that's the most literal interpretation you can make of a smart contract, and really what it does at the end of the day. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. And. The, is the uh, platform movable, or is it um, married to Ethereum, and that's it? If something existential uh, came to harm or disable Ethereum, there would mm -hmm. be means to port the platform. But we've been building on Ethereum since nine months before it launched. We have worked very intimately with the development wow. team. We we made a huge and, in hindsight, reckless bet on Ethereum before it launched. But 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 one uh, a strong bet nonetheless, and it you know it has paid off so far. It's been a really robust programming uh, kind of environment, and the developer community around it has been extraordinarily helpful to us. So yes, we okay. theoretically could, but I don't see a world in which that happens. Right, right. And last question about the um, the betting scheme: Are you able to make a bet and then? Um, if the value of it goes up, um, exit the transaction. You can sell whatever you want. Okay. And, and so, so, so that, that's to... really nice because the way markets resolve in Augur, because it's a truly because it's a truly decentralized system, um, you have every every eight weeks you have a reporting period, in which people owning uh, a token that we distributed in a crowd sale it's called Rep or Reputation report on the outcome of events. And, okay. and and so often, let's say, the reporting period, let's say the Yankees win the World Series, but the reporting period is in for two weeks. You may want to get paid out sooner so you can sell your shares at 99 cents a share as opposed to a dollar a share and pay a small trading fee. Okay, and again, the the market price at that current moment, if you choose to sell, it's that minus the trading fee, and that's what you're out of the transaction at. Exactly. Oh, huh, very interesting. Very fascinating technology. Okay. And Augur is scheduled to, to launch when? Uh, one or two months. Okay. Very good. Um, how about some of the other uh, projects you're working on, the real big ones? Uh, you said you're in San Francisco right now for a conference. Oh no, I I live here, and this is where my oh, office okay. is. Uh, okay. The, the the blockchain education network is uh, the educational nonprofit I started. Uh, they're doing mm -hmm. amazing work. They've got chapters all over the world. Uh, they, they I'm the chairman of the board, but the executive director Dean Maisley has helped implement hackathons all over the country. 
uh, getting students involved, uh, involved in this technology, um, doing global hackathons so students can kind of be exposed to blockchain technology for the first time, and then helping kids go to conferences for free, get involved in the industry, get job opportunities. It's been really extraordinary to see. I mean, startups coming out of our nonprofit have raised probably over $30, $40 million at this point. Wow. Yeah, what are what are some of the most promising startups that you're seeing right now that you think are going to have a big impact? So that's, that's a good question. There, there is so much going on in this ecosystem, and the sorts of business being created are so expansive from the insurance space, the finance area, to, to as far removed from kind of Bitcoin as artists' royalty payments. They're, they're, they're doing streamlined royalty payments for music streaming services like YouTube, Pandora, uh, Spotify, and, and that, that's a portfolio company of mine called STEM. Uh, so that's really interesting. There's another company in our portfolio called Tyrion. Tyrion allows you to kind of hash data into the blockchain in a very intuitive manner, just a back-end API, to see if any sort of alterations have been made to a document. It's got a really robust API that can be implemented in a matter of minutes or under an hour. Uh, Tyrion uh, sponsored a recent hackathon I was a judge at, and 18 of the 19 participants or, or submissions used Tyrion's API in it. So that's really cool. It's a very robust timestamping feature that the Bitcoin blockchain enables. Um, we have another company in our portfolio called Gem. They're, they're kind of groundbreaking in the world of healthcare, uh, creating health uh, healthcare application layer on the blockchain. Uh, healthcare companies are kind of going nuts for this technology right now, so it's an amazing opportunity. Uh, and then we have another company more kind of closely aligned with Bitcoin called Abra. It's been a, one of the hotter companies in the industry, and, and they are a remittance solution that kind of takes the Uber model but instead of uh, calling a card, you call someone to give you digital money. The, the end users often don't know they're using Bitcoin, but it's someone that you kind of call on the app, that they have Bitcoin in their wallet, they sell it to you, you send it to your family overseas, they find a similar sort of teller, and then they sell it for their local currency. Really kind of okay. novel way to move money overseas. And it cuts the, the fees that they normally pay, Western Union or MoneyGram by an enormous amount. All right. So it sounds like uh, it's almost an incubator for for new technologies. Well, so my firm, we're a venture capital firm. So okay. So, so the, uh, those those are not startups out of my nonprofit. Sorry if that's a, that was a point of confusion. Now these no these problem, are yeah. these are all portfolio companies that have come out of that that my firm's invested in. Out of my nonprofit, well, there's Augur came out of that. Um, I, furthermore, we had there's a company called Distributed ID. They've raised some money, um, and and they're doing they're an identification solution. Another company is called Bolt. They're doing payments. Um, all very exciting stuff. And you know, early on, when it, when a student starts a company, it's very rarely that that ends up being the product they stick with. But there are these circumstances where we have had companies that have been very successful coming out of our nonprofit. Um, have you seen that uh, the public 
understands blockchain, or is it a real difficult thing to um, to help them understand? Do they not care and they just want to use the end application? Well, it it depends what you mean by the public. If you mean some random person I approach on the street, now they have no clue. They've never heard of it in their life. If you're talking about someone in finance or the world of tech, they probably have heard of it. And if you've been in this industry as long as I have, you can probably pitch it to them in a way that makes sense to get them excited. But for the mm -hmm. most part, the technology is very difficult to grasp. It's not intuitive. It's not a sexy front-end application like Google or Facebook or Twitter. It's a back-end right. protocol improvement that makes the way we transmit value more or better, pretty much. But mm. the issue is, is that the way we transfer value is not something we think about that often, especially in the developed world when you have credit cards, when you have Venmo. It's just not, it, it's not, it's not a difficult thing to do. But in the developing right. world, that, that that's where the technology gets exciting. And then in the back end, kind of protocol improvements in the world of finance and supply chains and healthcare. It's also exciting, but but to the public, it's not a very interesting technology unless you're kind of getting them excited about kind of the more the like black markety applications of Bitcoin, which is obviously what was the original catalyst for a lot of interest in, in this tech. Right. So what, what's your estimation in the next you know couple of years? What do you think are going to be the the blockchain use cases that are going to be most widely adopted in society? I think settlement and clearing in, in, in financial markets will be an obvious application. If you look at something like SWIFT, which has had these $100 million plus hacks, uh, our financial infrastructure is broken, especially when it comes to international kind of currency settlement and exchange. Um, in value exchange for for large equities and such, and and that's problematic. We 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 we're in the 21st century and we need kind of technology that's up to par. Blockchain technology allows settlements to happen in a more frictionless uh, period of time, instead of t transaction times of three days or 30 days or even 60 days. You can have them in zero days if you'd like, and 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 that's a radical improvement. Counterparty risk is radically eliminated in financial markets. So that's really excited, exciting. Uh, but I think we will see use of the Bitcoin blockchain and other blockchains for kind of this time stamping purpose I was discussing with Tyrion in a lot of business processes. Any, any business where there's kind of regulation, uh, where there's auditing, and where there's fraud benefits from having an immutable record placed on the blockchain. Uh, healthcare right. could be a very promising initial uh, application as well. Uh, it serves as kind of the holy grail of a lot of the problems the healthcare indus industry faces today, including interoperability, uh, what else? Uh, HIPAA laws, compliance, uh, encrypted data management. Blockchains can help with all those things. And thus, a lot of healthcare executives are getting really excited about the technology now. And then, of course, going back to Augur, I think Augur presents itself as perhaps one of the first first world consumer applications of this technology because it allows people to do something they can't do right now online. Do you think that um, 
Bitcoin is going to be eclipsed by all these uh, blockchain use cases and just become, you know, a, a quirky uh, artifact of this whole industry? Or do you think it's going no, to uh, become No, because more keep in mind, in order for a blockchain to be secure, it has to have a token that secures it. There has to be an incentive to mine transactions and to secure the network. So as long as people are using the blockchain, or Bitcoin's blockchain, that is, uh, its value will continue to go up. Um, it, it should be seen like a digital gold. Its value exists as long as people are using its blockchain. Mm. Okay, interesting. So the value in it may not even come from widespread adoption of Bitcoin itself, but no. because of it's the underlying technology. No, it's intrinsically tied to the applications built on top of it and using it. Fascinating, okay. And now there is a chance Bitcoin could be eclipsed by another blockchain such as Ethereum, but something tells me that it will maintain its place as a digital gold. Okay. What about um, privacy versus control of uh, you know big data? Essentially, it seems like I'm hearing everywhere, and I'm sure a lot of people are hearing about you know privacy is dead and you know, you can't expect to not be surveilled everywhere you go and everything you do, but blockchain technology seems to offer the possibility of taking back your data, controlling your data, keeping it maybe more pseudonymous or uh, deciding who would, who to give it to and when. Do you see the yeah. push-pull between these two? I mean, so for a long time, a Bitcoin was misunderstood and, and believed to be anonymous. It's really the opposite of that in many ways. It's totally transparent. Every transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain is traceable. You can see where it came from. You can see its origins. Every transaction that's ever occurred in the history of Bitcoin is recorded on the blockchain. And thus, it is possible uh, to kind of unveil certain bits of information. But at the end of the day, it's a better version of cash. You know, It's something that is somewhat anonymous, but, but can still be traced when necessary. Not always, though. I mean, you've had these massive hacks of exchanges, and they haven't been able to kind of unveil the hackers, even doing extreme crypto analysis. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's great. It's empowering. It allows you to be your own bank. Uh, But at the same time, don't never, don't allow yourself to be fooled into believing that you are truly anonymous online. Everything you do online has the potential of being traced. I mean, there are attempts at cryptocurrencies such as Zcash and Monero that try to be truly anonymous. But uh, we live in a a day of interconnectivity, as seen by the the massive DOS attack on a bunch of American websites the other day. You know, you you can use webcams and, like, routers to do a, a huge denial of service attack through the Internet of Things, which nobody even had been considering beforehand. And that took down right. Twitter and Facebook and Netflix for a day. So, uh, you know, spyware technology is getting more and more sophisticated. Um, it's very hard to be uh, a private individual, but Bitcoin and blockchain technology gives a potential opportunity to reclaim some kind of uh, privacy. And, and yes, I think that is something we should definitely strive for. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to know your thoughts on that because it seems like one of the lone voices or um, 
technologies that may help people claw back some of their privacy. Some of it, not all of it. But. Yeah. All right. Um, any other questions that uh, you know that people that follow you or are interested in what you're doing would like to ask? You know that uh, you want to talk about now. Anything you wish people would ask you or you want to comment on? No, I mean obviously I think individuals often see cryptocurrency as like a get-rich-quick scheme, and it's not. It's too volatile for that. Although you can make money quite quickly in this space. But if you're trying to understand how to evaluate this technology from an investment perspective, and I get asked a lot of questions about this, it's important to think about what you would have been, how the amount of money you could have made if investing in the internet early on was possible, mm. uh, which wasn't. You could have invested in early internet companies, which was more of a crapshoot. You couldn't invest in the protocol. With Bitcoin and blockchain technology, you can now finally invest at the protocol level. And so if you believe that this technology is going to be employed in the future, it's an investment worth considering because it underlies every other system built on top of it, whether it's Bitcoin or Ether or another cryptocurrency. Yeah, and you're, you're in that space with you know doing venture capital with your firm. Um, what about angel investors? Do you see quite a bit of them in this space, or has it not there attracted are. them yet? And, you know, I, I, I work as an angel investor outside of the industry. I don't really feel like uh, compounding my risk, but the, in the industry there are angels. Uh, the issue with that is that in order to really be able to understand the trends in this space, which are rapidly evolving, I mean, this is the fastest moving industry I've ever come across, uh, you need to be fully involved and aware of what's going on and thus trying trying to angel invest without having a very wholesome view of, uh, of the industry can be kind of a crapshoot. But there are, there are a lot of people that do it and some have been successful. But it, it, it's not the sort of industry that has a lot of liquidity events. In fact, there's been no major exit in the blockchain space in six years, seven years. Uh, so that has to be a consideration for angel investors. You really have to be in this for the long haul. Mm, okay. It's kind of funny. It's a, it's a dichotomy. You know, there's uh, things are changing so quickly and evolving, but yet you have to be in it for the long haul. Just kind of a funny irony. But, uh, right. Anyway. And it, 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 it was. It's not an industry I would readily angel invest in, and I don't. It'd be, I'd rather kind of spread my chips across the table which I'm able to do as a venture capitalist. But as an angel, picking the winners and losers, if you had tried to do that three years ago, you would be and had invested all your money into the industry. It's very likely that you would have lost nearly all of it at this point because there have been wow. so many companies that have come and gone. And now, and now there are a lot of incumbents at this point, the Coinbases, the chains, the ripples of the world. But uh, a lot of companies have come and gone, gone in that time. Yeah, all right, so last question. Um, any dangers you see, any threats to uh, this industry that you think are out there that may or may not materialize in the next few years? I used to think the greatest existential threat to Bitcoin was large banks or corporations or even governments that wanted to take it down, make it illegal. Uh, 
But now they've all kind of uh, adopted blockchain technology from government to government, uh, corporations to banks. So that's not really the risk anymore. The risk is actually internal. We've seen this both in the world of Bitcoin and the world of Ethereum. In Bitcoin, there's this debate on how to scale the infrastructure of, of, of Bitcoin, uh, the, the block sizes more exactly. And it, it's kind of brought development uh, and activation of new improvement protocols to the system to a grinding halt for all, over a year. And it, 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 it can seem petty from the outside, but it's these deeply ideologically driven debates about the uh, trade-offs between like usability, consumer access, scalability, and privacy. And, and not having a hierarchy, having a decentralized system, makes it very difficult to create kind of change in these systems. Ethereum has a sort of benevolent dictator model, and that works better, but it can also lead to all sorts of conflicts of interest as well. And so I think the greatest threat to these systems is their developer communities and, and, and their mining systems, how, how they validate transactions. Uh, as we move forward, it's unclear how these systems will develop, and I think they could be the most likely cause of failure in one of these systems. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so for, for listeners that want to get involved in either learning about blockchain technologies or Augur itself, that want to follow its progress and its launch, where do you recommend that they go to uh, to learn more and to get involved? Twitter is a great source for information in the space. Augur.net, you can sign up for the newsletter, check out the blog. The website's very informative. We've got some good videos. Uh, follow us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, and then for the, the, for the industry as a whole, uh, BitcoinMagazine.com is great. Uh, Coindesk.com is great. Uh, following just influential Twitter users uh, from the industry is, is really useful. And then uh, we have a BTC Media, we have a, a weekly newsletter on blockchain technology. It's called The Distributed Ledger. That's something you can sign up for online. It's at godistributed.com. Uh, that's probably the best way to just get a weekly roundup of everything going on. Okay, The Distributed Ledger. All right, great. All right, well, this has been a, a really great wide-ranging interview. I definitely appreciate your time, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to come from Augur and uh, everything else in the, the blockchain world. So thanks, Jeremy. Wonderful. Have a nice day. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.